Well, good evening and welcome everyone. Thank you for coming tonight. And I hope that you receive a blessing from coming tonight, uh, not only from the Bible study and prayer, but just being together as the family of God and being able to encourage one another. And uh, so I hope tonight's a blessing. Uh, let's bow before the Lord and pray and ask his um, blessings upon our time. Father in heaven, we thank you that we have the privilege to meet together this evening. Father, we thank you for your word and for the opportunity that we have to learn its wisdom and seek to apply it to our lives. Father, we have come together tonight as your people to learn together, but also to pray together and to lift up uh, our concerns and our requests before your throne of grace. And so, Father, we pray that you would hear our prayers tonight. We pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive your truth. And Father, we pray that uh, you would bless our time of fellowship and study. And we ask, Lord, that you would be exalted in all that we do. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, tonight we're continuing our study of Created to Draw Near, and we're looking at chapter 36 and chapter 37. Uh, most likely, Lord willing, we will finish up the study next Wednesday. Uh, we're, as we kind of draw near the end of the book, we have, we're really kind of narrowing in on more what I might say are applicable or practical uh, outworking of some of the things that we've been learning in the book. And so kind of going back through the overview of the book, we kind of started at the beginning with the Garden of Eden and walking through the Old Testament and seeing some of the, the symbols and, and pictures of the priesthood in, in different ways in the Garden of Eden, but then in Old Testament Israel and the tabernacle and the temple. And then we've moved into the New Testament and saw how Jesus fulfills those pictures, those symbols. And he is God with us. He is the temple. He is the tabernacle. And because of our union with him, because of our connection with Christ, we too become priests and we become priests of the most high God. We also become a temple. Peter says in first Peter chapter two, we become like living stones that are built up on the cornerstone of Christ. And so we, we see those symbols applied first to Christ and then to us because of our connection, our union with Christ. And the last couple of chapters and then moving toward the end of the book now, I think he's then now just trying to focus in on what does all this mean then for how we live our lives as believers, how we how we think about our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, how we relate to the world. And uh, that is what these two chapters are about. In chapter 36, he focuses on our mission as priests of God. And he says that the plan had always been that priests would meet in the staging area of God's house in order to be sent out into the world. His house is a place of rest, yet it is also very busy. It is life with a purpose and following are elements of that mission. And so he says, as priests, we are drawing near to God and he draws us into his presence and we worship him there. We commune with him in his presence, but it's also then kind of a, a launching point to 
propel us out into the world uh, to do mission for him as his representatives. And the first half of this chapter is on the idea of the battle that we have as Christians with uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's really about spiritual warfare. And he makes the link back to the Old Testament priests who were an integral part of Israel's warfare. You go back and look at some of the Old Testament stories, especially in the book of Joshua, when the people of God were coming into the promised land and they were fulfilling God's word. They would take the land of Canaan And they were going into battle against different peoples and different cities. And the priests were very much a part of that by way of prayer, uh, by way of blessing the the people, even on the eve of a battle, but also even physically there present with the ark of God going forth into battle. And he says that kind of symbolizes the battle that we're now in. We don't use swords and chariots and... um, bows and arrows, but we, we have a a very real battle. Nonetheless, it is a battle with evil. It's a battle with the devil. It's a battle with the forces of this world and also with the battle with our own hearts, with the, the sin that, that tends to reside there in inside our own hearts. And so he says, we are in spiritual warfare every day. And our enemy can be found in the world or, or in what is earthly. So he says, you want to know where our enemy is? Our enemy is basically all around us. And even inside of our own hearts. And he says, when, if you want to find the enemy, then just find where the world and its values, that which is earthly, that which is here and now, where that is emphasized. And there you will find the enemy. And one of the difficult things about this battle is that we're dealing with our own hearts in a large part of it. Worldliness is defined for us in 1 John 2.16 when he says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. This is a very interesting verse because when we think of worldliness we think of the problem is out there. But you look at what John, how he describes it, and worldliness, the problem is in here. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It's our own desires that we do battle with. And so a primary battlefield is in our own hearts. Things like anger that we deal with all the time. And he says in the chapter that anger really is a reflection of the devil because the devil was a murderer from the beginning. And so anger uh, reflects more the devil's character than certainly God's. So we deal with anger in our hearts when things don't go our way. Uh, We deal with selfish ambition and just uh, the desires that we have to to get, to achieve, uh, to strive for whatever we set our eyes on. And that can be money. It can be uh, possessions. It can be attainment of position or fame, worldly pleasures, whatever it is, that selfish ambition sometimes can consume us and drive us. Uh, And that selfish ambition can turn into jealousy when we see others have what we want. Uh, 
and pride obviously is where we put ourselves first. We lift, pride can take many forms. Oftentimes we think of pride as boasting. Look how great I am. And certainly that's one form of pride, but pride essentially is any time that you yourself are the focus. When, when you are kind of like the center of the universe and the, all the planets revolve around you, that's, that's pride. And it can take many forms. It can take the form of boasting, but can also take the form of self-pity and just being down on yourself all the time. And so other people will notice you and compliment you and cut, try to lift you up. Uh, pride takes many, many forms, but it, essentially it's when we're at the center of our own universe, all these things, anger, selfish ambition, jealousy, pride, and that's really just a sampling, but all those things are, we're dealing with in our own hearts, aren't we? We think about temptation, we think about worldliness, and we think about, you know, the devil tripping us up or external temptations out there. And certainly there are those, but the vast majority of the time, the problem that we have starts in our own thoughts and our own thinking. And so we have to be aware of the battle that's going on inside of us. And he says the strategy is really clear. And that is we turn from Satan and his devices and we turn to the Lord. In James chapter four, we read, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom in, in the idea of repentance and sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The title of this study that we've been going through is created to draw near, right? Drawing near to God. And here in James 4, he says, one of the ways that we draw near to God is by resisting the devil, fleeing to God and humbling ourselves before God in his presence. And we draw near to him and he draws near to us. Another battlefield, a favorite battlefield of the devil is in the community of believers. So we, we fight with our own desires, our own lusts, things that drive us. We're, we're constantly doing battle there. But one place where the devil loves to get a foothold, if he can, is in the church of the living God, in the fellowship of believers. And he'll do it any way he can. He'll, he'll bring in troubles and trials. He'll bring in jealousy and strife. He'll bring in disagreements, anything that he can to try to drive a wedge or discourage people in the family of God. He's going to try to do it. And so this is one of his favorite battlefields. And he says, as priests, though, as priests, we are to be protectors of the family of God, of the household of God. And so he says, priests discern the body of Christ, which means that we know that the body of Christ is set apart for unity through humility and love. And we work for peace and reconciliation when we see interpersonal fractures. You read through the New Testament. Jesus talks about it in the Gospels. Almost in every single one of Paul's letters in the New Testament, the theme of unity and deferring to one another will come up. It's because it's a constant issue 
in the body of Christ where the devil tries to get a foothold. But as priests of God, we seek for reconciliation. We seek for peace. We seek for the holiness of the body of Christ. And the spiritual battle is also in the world. So it's in our hearts. Satan tries to infiltrate the church of God and stir up strife. But it's also out there in the world. And that can take the form of persecution. It can take uh, the form of ridicule, slander. Uh, It can take the form of just evil influences and philosophies. So the battle is out there. But we have a role to play as priests because we've drawn near to God and now he is sending us out into the world. As Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus prayed, Father, don't take them out of the world. I want them to be in the world so they can minister here. But he said, I pray that they not be of the world. So we're in the world, we're ministering in the world amongst the unbelievers, but Jesus prayed, Father, don't let the world get into them, into their hearts. So he says in the chapter, we hope to fit in in this world by being good neighbors who contribute to the good of the community. And we hope to stand out in the way that we love. When we encounter the inevitable relationship hassles, he says, this is our opportunity to shine. One of the easiest, clearest, most pronounced ways that we can show that we are children of God is by loving. By loving one another, Jesus said, here's how everyone's going to know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. But then even going above and beyond that, when we show love and deference, even to those who mistreat us, as Jesus told us to love even our enemies, that is an incredible testimony before the world. And in that context, Jesus says in Matthew 5, let your light so shine before others. They may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. And so we do battle in our own hearts. We do battle in the church in the sense of seeking to keep it pure and unified. And we also are involved in a spiritual battle in the world, seeking to love and be people of peace in a world that is not loving or at peace. And then we pray and we bless. And so we do battle, but we also pray and bless. And he asked the question, How do we do spiritual battle in our own hearts? How do we seek to preserve the unity of the body of Christ? How do we love even our enemies? And the answer is prayer. The life of God's saints, the life of a priest is one of prayer. He says, and really this is an extension of the normal back and forth that characterizes growing relationships. God speaks to us, especially through his word, and we speak from our hearts to him. When you think about Moses, you think about the priests of the Old Testament. Moses came near God, didn't he? He came into the presence of God. We read in Exodus that he would go into the tent of meeting and he would meet with God. And the Bible even says there in Exodus that, that God would speak to him as a man speaks to his friend. So there is a a relationship, a communication there, and that is exemplified by the priesthood in the Old Testament. So now we are priests. We draw near to God. And one of the reasons why we draw near to God is for relationship, 
for fellowship, that we might speak with God and he speaks his truth to us through his word. Prayer is one of our greatest opportunities to bring Christ to the world. So we are people of prayer and we pray for ourselves. We pray for our families. We pray for the the church of God, but we can also pray for neighbors, friends, coworkers. And he says at this point in the chapter that when we pray for unbelievers, this is one of those times where people's hearts are open. People are receptive. People oftentimes won't turn down prayer, especially when they're going through a time of difficulty. And he says, this is really a great opportunity to bring Christ into their lives. He says, during trouble, most people welcome prayer. They might think that prayer is silly during easier times, but real humanity emerges, especially in difficulties, when they are grateful that we pray for them and have them on our hearts. And so it can be an open door to share the witness of Christ with them by just praying for people that are going through a difficult time. And, and in so doing, when, when we do that, we're really serving as representatives of God, aren't we? That's what a priest is essentially a go-between, isn't he? A a priest was someone who represented the people before God, but also represented God before the people. And so when we act as priests for unbelievers, we see their need, we see their troubles, and we represent them before God, and we pray for them. And then we take God's truth and his good news, and we we represent God to them and and bring his, his blessing to them. He says the partner of prayer is blessing. And so we pray and we bless. And this flows out of God's blessing of us. God blesses us so that then he uses, he can use us to bless others. To speak blessing to others, you've got to know God's blessings. And he just gives us a few. There there are dozens and dozens in scripture, but here's just a few that he gives us in the chapter. We read in second Peter one, verse two, that God's grace and his peace are given to us. Grace and peace to you. May the Lord deal kindly with you. We read in Ruth chapter one and verse number eight, may the Lord give you peace. Second Thessalonians three sixteen. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Those are just a handful of the blessings. We are blessed, which means we have received God's favor. We have received God's grace. We've received his gifts of love. Then he in turn uses us to be his instruments of grace, to bless others. Our words of blessing to others mature and deepen as we understand more deeply the goodness of God to us. One of the things he does at this point in the chapter is he kind of walks through the Bible, just a quick overview and shows how the concept of blessing kind of matured from Old Testament to New Testament, where in the Old Testament, blessing a lot of times focused on physical things, May your land be fruitful. May your family be fruitful. 
But then you move into the New Testament and the blessings become more and more spiritually, more and more eternally focused. And he says that's a, that's a, a demonstration of growing in wisdom and deepening in our understanding of the goodness of God, that the, the greatest blessings of God are not in the here and now, but they're the ones that last forever. And so we move then, as we mature in our understanding of God's goodness, we move from physical blessings to spiritual and heavenly blessings, which are eternal and more significant. And so we see, for example, in Psalm 65, verse 4, Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. And so after going out into the world, sent by the Lord, yet also with his presence, we invite others to come near to him and return to his house where together we bless him. As in Psalm 134, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. So we've been blessed we go out then into the world to seek to be a blessing to them and to draw them near to their God as well. And then in chapter 37, he reminds us of the fact that as priests, as saints of God, we're on a journey. And chapter 37 was very interesting. The way that he kind of structured it, the way he structured it was around kind of the the calendar of Israel and walking through a calendar year of the different feasts of Israel, but then using Psalm 23 as kind of our guide through the different seasons of life. And so I'm just going to focus on Psalm 23 as we walk through this, but he says, we're on a journey. We're on a journey. The Christian life is not a, a sprint, is it? The Christian life is a marathon. It is a long journey to the celestial city, to put it in terms of Pilgrim's Progress from John Bunyan. We're on a journey to the celestial city. And so we are on that journey, but God is near. He is with us as we go on that journey. And so he brings us to Psalm 23, where he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so we hear, we see here that Jesus is our good shepherd. Psalm 23 says the Lord is our shepherd, but then we get to the New Testament And especially in the book Gospel of John, we see Jesus describe himself as the good shepherd. So he is the fulfillment, if you will, of Psalm 23, of leading and guiding his people. He says, Jesus, the shepherd, is with us, always close. With sins forgiven, there is nothing that can separate us from his love. We have everything we need and the waters are quiet rather than turbulent. We are refreshed by him and in him. And really the image of the opening verses of Psalm 23 is a loving shepherd who guides his sheep to where they need to go to get what they need. 
to get the sustenance from green pastures, to get the refreshment of the cool waters. Jesus guides his people to what they need to flourish. And Jesus is our shepherd. The Holy Spirit is with us. He is the presence of God with us. And that's really kind of the answer to the question of how is Jesus our guide? How is Jesus our good shepherd? Well, really, it's the Holy Spirit who lives in us and the word that God has given to us. And so the spirit who lives inside of us all the time, constantly, permanently, the spirit assures us of the presence of Jesus. And he gives us power to follow him during trouble. And there will be trouble. And he says, those reminders strengthen us. So Jesus is our good shepherd. The spirit who indwells us reminds us of that. It reminds us that Jesus cares for us and is guiding us. And even through times of trouble, like we read in verse four, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's really kind of a a stark contrast, isn't it? Between verses one through three and verse four of Psalm 23. Because verses one through three of Psalm 23 show the shepherd leading the sheep by green pastures, by still waters, finding shade under the trees. It's a scene of beauty, of provision. But then you come to verse four and we see a wilderness. We see a desert. We see a valley, uh, the valley of the shadow of death. But he says the shepherd is with us there too. So even at times of trouble, times when we are in danger, our shepherd is still there with us. And he says his rod and his staff, they comfort us. He's with us in the wilderness. He's with us in the troubles of life. He walks with us with his rod and staff. And one of them protects us from attacks. And the other keeps us from wandering off the path or picks us up when we fall. And so the rod and staff of Jesus are our comfort when we're walking through the the difficult valleys of life. And then Psalm 23 closes in verses five and six with kind of a new image. Verses one through four is the image of a shepherd leading sheep. Verses five and six is almost more the image of a host inviting people to a banquet. Verse five says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So he says the image of the shepherd and the sheep gives way to the image of the Lord as host. And he has prepared a lavish banquet. His hospitality begins with the anointing of the head with oil, which was customary with honored guests. But this anointing doubles as anointing to the royal priesthood. So he says, we are now invited in. We're invited into the presence of God. We are anointed with oil, anointed as priests of the most high God. Our destination has always been God's house, which he has actually prepared for us. And so it is our house. Remember what Jesus told his disciples? I'm going to go away, John 14. 
I'm going to go away, but when I go away, I'm going to be preparing a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and receive you into myself so that where I am, there you may be also. So our destination has always been God's house. Psalm 23, verse 6 ends with the statement, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's God's goal for us, to be in his presence forever and ever. So our destination of God's house, it's always been that way. For now, you can pray for endurance and eyes to see these spiritual realities. But then he says, one day we will stay put. So we seek to be in the Lord's house. And when we gather with God's people, we're in the Lord's house. But one day, these things that are partial, these things that are, like Paul says, looking through a glass darkly, 1 Corinthians 13, one day it's going to give way to seeing Christ face to face and truly being in the presence of God forever and ever. And so we are priests on a mission sent out to represent God to the world. And we're also on a journey, a journey in which God is with us, which Jesus is guiding us. The spirit is assuring us and our ultimate destination is the house of God where we will dwell with him forever. Isn't that a great hope? I mean, you look around at our world right now. I mean, it's a pretty crazy world that we live in. It's always been that way, but seems like even crazier over the last year or so. And it kind of gets you thinking about longing for, looking for things that are better. And so a lot of people are like, I'm ready to put 2020 behind me and hoping for a better 2021. And I'm hoping for a better 2021 also, but a better 2021 is not the ultimate goal, is it? The ultimate goal is the heavenly city. And so uh, going through crazy times, these truths about God preparing a place for us, about our destination, ultimately being in the house of the Lord forever, that's a comforting thing. And it, it gives us hope in the midst of a troubling world. It gives us hope, like in Psalm 23, verse 4, when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus is there with us. And so may we, in that hope, continue on our journey and be priests of God to the world. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, we thank you for the way that you love us, for the way that you have, out of sheer grace and mercy, called us into your presence. You've called us to be holy ones, to be saints. You have set us apart for yourself. And Lord, now you have called us to be priests of the Most High God, to dwell in your presence, and then also to go out on mission in the world where we're on a journey uh, ultimately to the new heavens and the new earth that one day you will, you will bring to completion. Father, I pray that you would bless our people, bless our church, help us, Lord, to be the light, the salt of the earth that you've called us to be. May we be your priests and be your royal priesthood in the world. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.